I'm good. I'm good. Um, the second one. I'm. I'm. I've had a tough week, Jack. Oh really? I've had a tough, tough week. week. Uh, like, What's going on, buddy? What's... I'm not. I. This is the thing, right? This is the thing we always talk about. Is uh, it's so I. It's so easy to be grumpy or to be anxious or be neurotic and have like a tough week and just be like, so uh, and be like, yeah, but other people are actually suffering. Other people are <sighs> actually going through things. Other people, and I immediately just did that to myself. It's all relative, man. It's all relative, right? Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you don't want to be the type who's like, Ugh, they don't have bacon? This place <laughs> is terrible. You know, oh, like, woe is me. Yeah, like the there's... I think that's... Everything has a balance, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how... Um, I was trying to figure out I, this this appeasement part of my personality, this like, you know, if someone's mad at me, someone I love or, is, you know, someone in the family or whatever, like I have that, I think we talked about it last week, I have that set myself on fire thing where it's like, I'm so sorry, I'll do anything you want, like yeah. I'm so sorry. You, know. you you and I have even had mo- moments like that when we've had a little uh, like you and I have now now never had like a full on fight fight or anything. No, but it's we've had some when we've had moments. a disagreement, it turns into an apology off. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, by exactly. and large, like neither of us are particularly confrontational. No, but the thing of it is, is is falling on your sword requires a certain time and a place, and like you have to take care of yourself, and and it very rarely is called for to set yourself on fire. But the other end of the spectrum is like, you know, I, I've I've dealt with some narcissists, mm-hmm. and you worry that if you don't have that uh, that eye to self improvement or that eye to like maybe I did screw up or maybe I did if you if you like abandon that, yeah, then that's that descent into, you know, sort of narcissism. Yeah. Uh, it's- it's easy for one's uh, empathy to overwhelm your sense of uh, self-preservation, I guess, and, and taking care of yourself. I mean, yeah. I struggle with that. It's just finding that line of like, no, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve what that mm. person did to me, or I didn't oh. deserve <laughs> that thing. That's so difficult. I feel that in my very core. Yeah. <sighs> um, so there's been a bit of that going on. Mm. And then a bit of like, new awesome stuff that is way more awesome than the things that i have to get done you know but then Mm -hmm. like the new awesome stuff is in your life partially because you were kind of good at getting the stuff done and (laughs) and that that's (sighs) jack we haven't really talked all week i want to chat with you that's kind of one of the that's kind of one of the things i i I was i've been thinking about you know, like relationships mm-hmm. and love and being loved and all yeah. that is so nice. It is it's like beautiful. It's, it's so, warm and it's 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 addictive too. I I want I'm I you know first of all uh, hello everyone welcome to uh, podcast of the nerds. Hi, Ian. and I am Jack. Um, I, I I'm gonna include this because. I think it's very on brand. <laughs> yeah, I 
<laughs> I thought that's what we we were doing anyway. Let's just ro- roll with it, man. See being where it goes. 40, being 40 and dating, I'm like I'm seeing uh, I took a long break. Right? I took a long break. And there's an interesting thing about dating that I never really thought about um coherently or consciously or or whatever but it certainly influenced past relationships sure and that is that being loved um intimacy between two people feeling not alone feeling connected to someone else is has got to be one of the greatest goddamn feelings in the entire world it's one of the things that make this whole experience worth it right the whole yeah life thing (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, you know what feels way better than? What? Publishing a video. (laughs) Of course, and that's okay. Or doing laundry, or, (laughs) you know, going for a run. You know what I mean? You see what I'm getting at? Of course, yeah, yeah, man, it makes sense, and and that's totally okay, too. Uh, You shouldn't beat yourself up for that. Do not beat yourself up about that. I know you will, but please don't. no, 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 no. That's not, like, I would not blame new things in my life for a video being like, good God, look at my track record for publishing. (laughs) Like, how many new things are in your life, Ian, and have they been there for the last four years? No, uh, not at all. I'm just saying, like, it's... Because I've, I've, we're going to talk about My Fair Lady in a minute, and uh, uh, it's so weird how, because I Henry higgins myself, mm-hmm. not the misogyny, but the like, <laughs> I'm going to live the bachelor life. <laughs> you really you know, did, for yeah. For such a long time, because in my head, yeah. I was, I was concerned, I, I've been in relationships where, um... I made the relationship my life and sort of mm-hmm. my identity and the things that I did well and the things that I was good at or any of that, I just let them slide. Not mm-hmm. her fault. That was totally my responsibility and my choice. And then when the relationship felt, never do that, by the way. And I've talked about that in episode guides, what a disaster that is. There's a little of that in Buffy and Angel in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like... When I look in the future, all I see is you. That's why I played that line <laughs> so many times. Because right. that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And yeah. I think one of my... Uh, you know, when when um, that last relationship fell apart, I, I Henry Higgins myself, and I'm like, I'm going to just be yeah. alone and work on well, me and all of that, which is great. Uh, and yeah, over the last um, couple of years, you and I have had many conversations where you've basically tried to convince me that you were content with being alone and all that stuff. And I'm like, but are you really? Are you really? I'm like, okay, I, I don't believe a word of it, but okay, I'm not going to push. I'm not going to push. <laughs> but I knew it was bullshit, man. I, I, I knew it. <laughs> you are one of the most loving and passionate people I've ever ever met so there's no way you would actually be content with being alone no way i love you too <laughs> but anyway um mm-hmm. uh i think that one of the reasons i shied away from it was because once i started working on the channel once i had a career and was doing things and understanding like oh i'm passionate about this i love this whatever the idea of getting back into a relationship to me felt nerve-wracking like mm-hmm. can i maintain 
this new thing that I built and and this sense of self that I understand. Sure, with it's scary, all man. my like abandonment issues and like setting myself on fire and fear of narcissism and all of that garbage in a relationship. Do you know what I mean? And -hmm. then you factor in how good being with someone feels. There is no drug (laughs) that that compares. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, the the butterflies and the warm and fuzzy feelings and all that is wonderful. Yeah, Jack, I'm... Jack, Jack. Mm -hmm. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) <laughs> you're in love and it's adorable i'm so embarrassed I, I i find myself doing the the no you hang up it's so gross <laughs> it's gross and i love it it's i love so it so um, gross you, but it's you... so real <laughs> you know what i mean like that yeah. like but i don't want to be in the room by myself now like <laughs> I'm very much enjoying it in in a vicarious manner. It's it's been beautiful to observe and just <laughs> wonderful. I I love every second of it, and yeah, I just it's great. Well, it <laughs> it's a very new thing. That that's all I'm saying, I guess. And and by the way, uh, to anyone listening, none of that was. Yeah, there's no excuses. There's no like I'm like this is the thing too is I'm also old enough now that I'm like I'm just tired of the I'm just tired. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like we talk, I, I talked in a podcast before you were on where I was talking about how like I got old enough that a certain number of doors closed. I'm no longer mm-hmm. going to be like a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs or a point mm-hmm. guard for the Bulls or any of that, and that's freeing. Mm-hmm. Because now you can just do stuff because you want to. Like the mm-hmm. the idea of like there being a perfect thing or it being an identity thing or whatever is no longer. Yes, Norman McLean wrote A River Runs Through It in his eighties, and Charlie Chaplin had kids in his nineties or whatever. Yeah, but there's always there's there's, a, yeah. there's always time. But my sense that the things that I pursued had to be tied to that is now just no longer the case. I'm writing a book this year mm-hmm. uh, because I want to. Because, Good, because I'm like... But that, that sense of, too, of like... In my 20s, thinking, well, I've got to get married and have children. Uh, like, mm-hmm. all of the expectations around a relationship are now out the window. Other than I want to be healthy, and I want to be kind, mm-hmm. and I want to communicate. And I want that to be sort of the operating principle for people that I spend time with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like what, so what you're saying is you're a human being. Yeah. <laughs> but That's good. It's not, it's not something I choose to cop to on a regular basis. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know why I was um go ahead. Ah, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend recently who was very regretful of like wasted time throughout their twenties uh, and whatnot and it just made it made me think about how like you're not ready till you're ready, right? Yeah. And so that's why like you're you're writing a, a, a novel at age forty. Like um, I'm I'm doing this now at age thirty two. There's just like I I I guess you you could say I wasted a portion of my twenties, uh, but I just wasn't ready to do the things I yeah. needed to to do. You know, and you can't 
force that. It just has to happen. You have to find it somewhere. And I mean, like, neither you nor I has broadcast experience. Right. <laughs> uh, I've been working on the channel for seven years, but I had nothing when I started. It was just mm. like, okay, I'm just going to do this thing because I want to do mm. this thing. Mm. You know, so a lot of the, the 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 ties or preconceived notions of the way something was supposed to look in order for it to me to be successful at it are just kind of gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, and it's all bullshit, really. At yeah, the end I'm of the very day. sure those things still are sort of in there. Um, like it's it's a it's a continuous process of just kind of oh there's one oh there's one oh there's one, you know, mm -hmm. and sort of freeing yourself up from whatever where where whatever that is where they came from whether that was your parents doing that or culture or you or yourself yeah where you're just like I'm gonna be dead at some yeah. point exactly and I'm mm -hmm. tired I'm tired of wasting time and worrying and you know all that stuff. Um, mm. is how I feel lately. Anyway. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Good, no, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, it's just, um, it's, it's important to, to be kind to oneself, right? Um, yeah. You're not going to achieve anything by, uh, beating yourself up and whatnot. And I'm very much a hypocrite in saying that because I'm the, the king of that. But... Oh, we're two of the worst. Yes. <laughs> we are self But it's a process, right? It, it's, yeah. it's something that, um, you know, to... To use a cliche saying, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, I apologize for the sound. Some I forgot to close uh, one of my apps. Uh, Jack, why don't you introduce uh, what we're going to talk about today? Uh, so today, uh, first up, uh, we are going to be going over our uh, list of shame uh, films. We watched uh, The Room and My Fair Lady. Um, then after that, we will be responding to some of the uh, comments left on our last uh, podcast. And later on, we'll be going into the whole uh, Joss Whedon situation and... Uh, Ian and myself have a couple of things to say about that. Um, and then, of course, uh, we'll finish off with the fanfic reading. Yeah, specifically, we've titled that section Regarding Joss Whedon, because mm -hmm. there's a certain approach that I want to take to having the conversation, um, which we'll get into uh, when when we get there. But uh, mm -hmm. it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. Sir Jack. Yes, sir. Round two, Mr. Sexy Co-host. How are Round you, Round two. Friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing very well. Um, I'm a lot more uh, relaxed in this whole thing now. You know, we were writing the uh, script and I was actually excited to, to get, get into it this time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's good. It's fun. But, yeah, um, I've, I've, uh, I've been watching uh, Parks and Rec for the first time. I'm uh, so excited. You've been bugging me for years it's, to watch yeah, it. It's and, a constant um, refrain. Yeah, uh, a, a while ago, I tried watching season one. I'm like, this just isn't grabbing me. It just, and I don't know, it, it just wasn't doing it for me. And then you recommend skipping to uh, season two. But because I'm an OCD kind of com com completionist, my brain was like, no, I can't do that. I can't, I can't skip anything. I can't do it. Um, if, if I've already seen something, I can skip. But if I haven't seen it before, I can't skip. So... I just bit the uh, bullet and got through uh, season one, and now I I just started the the last season, season seven I think, um, 
And yes. it's... So that season was the season that was produced specifically by Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Did you watch Arrested Development? No, no. Okay. The Netflix, um, after a series has finished seasons, to me, mm-hmm. always tend to be a little weird. Um, because yeah. the flavor is so different, the the momentum is different, the feeling is different. And I felt that way about um, that Parks and Rec season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I watched a bit of the first episode last night. Then I was getting really, really tired and fell asleep. But, um... It opens like three years later, which I thought was a weird jump. I yeah, think. yeah. I was like, o- okay, where's this going? But all right, cool, what, whatever. Um, yeah, and like, uh, don't get me wrong, okay. I-, I I know this show is like a warm, comfy, but blanket yeah. to you, and you love it. I get that. Um, and I do like it. It's it's a great show. Like the the cast are fan fantastic and everything, but. I still have this feeling that I've had since the the beginning of like the beginning of watching it where I'm just like, why would I watch this when I could just watch the office? <laughs> I feel like the office is just a better version of this really. Well, um, I mean, we'd have to break down kind of subjectively what you feel the word better, uh, means. Exactly. It's, um, it, I mean that in a completely sub subjective way, really. Yeah. And that's all per- personal preference. Um, I think I we've we talked about this offline. I th- I I think that the office is funnier. Mm-hmm. I I think it is uh um episode to episode moment to moment has more LPMs uh last yeah, last sure. per minute. Um yeah. and the writing might be a little tighter over the course of all the seasons. Mm-hmm. For instance, I think even after Michael leaves the writing on the on the office stays pretty solid. A lot of people say that that's where it goes down uh, hill. I, I do prefer the seasons with my sure. Michael, but I still think it's great, like, post-Michael. Yeah, I, I, I think the post-Michael se- seasons are underrated. It mm. is interesting, the DNA that the two of them share in common. The first season of The Office feels the least like the rest of the series. Oh, totally. It's starkly and different, yeah. Same with Parks and Rec. The mm. first season feels very unlike the rest of it. But... Um, yeah, I, I mean, just me personally, I enjoy the characters on Parks and Rec a little bit more broadly. See, yeah, there's a handful again, on the office I enjoy, but yeah, yeah. Um, ag- again, that's a subjective thing. I'm I'm much more attached to uh, the office char- characters. Um, like like uh, Jim Jim and Pam. I love that whole re- relationship. It's cool. I love that relationship. Um, I love uh, Kevin fr- from the office. He's just a dope, and he's hilarious and adorable, and I love him. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I also think um, the the documentary style I think is done better on uh, The Office too. Like watching Park, Parks and Rec, I forget half the uh, time that they were trying to emulate that that whole um, doc- yeah, documentary style. They kind of grew, grew away th- away from it. I mean, the comparisons between the two shows are inevitable because I think mm. Parks and Rec was intended to be a spinoff of The Office. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and Michael Schur, who created Parks and Rec, I was either a co-creator or one of the writers on The Office. He played Dwight's okay, yeah, get, cousin. Their name rings a bell. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Michael Schur went on to... I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Went on to do The Good Place. Oh, okay. oh The Good Place. <laughs> which, which to me even distills further the, the things that I enjoyed about Parks and Rec. You know? Mm-hmm. 
likable characters. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, if you if you um, can compare the three shows, I think you you can see a style there for sure. Sure, um, a very apparent style. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. Like I said, I started the last season. Maybe I'll feel uh, different after I finish it. I just um, I did not like the last season until okay. s- f- several rewatches into um, the show. Hmm. By the my third rewatch, the last season started to grow on mm-hmm. me. I think the final episode is great. Okay, I, I think it's a wonderful. They 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 do something special for uh, the way they write the final episode that I thought was very satisfying, mm-hmm. but the final season in general smacks of they couldn't get all the actors in the same space at once, right, so okay. they shot some scenes with them here and some scenes with them here and and so oh. forth. Um, that that can be very uh, jarring if if it isn't done right. Yeah, but I still yeah. I like I said I I've gotten to the point where I enjoy the final season and I think it's better mm-hmm. than the first. I also wonder if um, maybe I'm, I might enjoy it a little more if they didn't try to do the uh, doc documentary style and just made it more of, more of a sitcom or something. Um, that could have been cool. I, I don't know. But yeah, great show. I just, I I guess I just don't love it in the way that you you do, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also in my free time, I, well, I, I just bought a Nintendo Switch, uh, which is Congratulations. Been- Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Like I need, needed an excuse to buy more gaming things. Like I've got an Oculus Quest. I've got a, a three thousand dollar gaming PC. I just, I mean, we're, we're gamers, man. That's what yeah. we do, right? Yeah. Um. I've also got a, a Steam library full of uh, games I haven't touched. <laughs> but yeah, uh, then the Nintendo Switch. So like. For the longest time, I've been playing, you know, the big budget uh, AAA titles, you know, Assassin's Creed and all those kind kinds of fran- franchises, and they're, they're, they're great, and I love those uh, games, but they've kind of, they've turned me into a bit of a gaming snob, I guess, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, say more. Yeah, but in, so like... I, I remember a couple of years ago, my uh, brother bought a, a game, I think it's called Nuclear Throne, and it's like a bullet hell game, and the uh, graphics are intentionally retro. Like, mm-hmm. th- this game look, looks like it could have come out in the, 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 ni- the 90s or something. And I kind of said to my uh, brother, who's, 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 who's quite a bit younger than me, he, he's in his early, early 20s, I, I was just kind of like, I don't get the appeal of this because I remember a time when this was all we uh, had. Like, you, you and I come from a gaming gen- generation where mm-hmm. we had, you know, the Super Ni- Nintendo going f- further back, the Sega Mar- Master System and the, uh, the Atari and stuff. And so I kind of feel like, why would I want to go backwards when there's all these new better looking games to uh play but in saying that lately i've been craving simplicity in in my gaming you know um mm-hmm. like red dead redemption 2 is is a mammoth of, of a game and i love it and it's huge and it's expansive and Rock, rockstar really knocked knocked it out of the uh, park with that that one but but at the same time it's kind of it's over, overwhelming like you're loading into the game and you're like 
okay, I got a ride from St. Denis to New Austin. It's going to take me like 10, 10 minutes of like real, real time to get there. And what do I do? And so I just thought, you know, I, I just want to play Mario. I yeah. want to, I, I, I want to jump on some toads and kill them and just simple games. You know, the other, the other thing about those kinds of games, uh, are th- when you take a week away, Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you're basically screwed. Exactly. You ha- yeah, you have to relearn all of the systems and how. Wait, yeah. how did I? What was the thing? Especially yeah. a Rockstar game where there's so much depth to the systems that they're working with. Yeah. Um. You know, and I still go upstairs and and pick up uh, um, uh, Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the uh, I live with some four kids that are six and under and they're just mm-hmm. now playing super mario world for the first time and are completely oh, addicted wow. yeah yeah wow. the nintendo is very good there are certain th- games that it, like the the playstation one generation games mm-hmm. you really have to be a classic gamer to enjoy yeah. going back and playing those yeah, but, I tried to a while ago. I tried to play the first uh, Tek- Tekken, and it's slow and clunky, and it's, it doesn't yeah. look good. Yeah, uh, but Nintendo's very good about designing those games that are a little more timeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, a little bit because they're they're they don't. There's not so many ingredients in the soup, right? But the three ingredients that are there are perfect. Right, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I even try and go back and play Final Fantasy VII from time to time. And I usually... Mm-hmm. I'm, maybe I've become a graphic snob myself where I get about halfway in. But um, especially with when it comes to storytelling in games, storytelling in games has come so far along yeah. that unless you're really into the systems or the nostalgia of it, it's it's very hard to go back. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned... Uh... Story, storytelling and, and whatnot it has come come a long way um but there's still like a for for example one of the games that then i bought on uh switch that i've been enjoying a lot is super mario odyssey and story-wise it's it's still mario bowser kidnaps princess peach and you you gotta go and rescue her but um so in in terms of story storytelling it's still very uh basic but the game itself is still fantastic. It's so good. It's um, it's very much like um, an homage to to all of the uh, pre previous games. I think um, I haven't played Super Mario since probably Super Mario sixty four, and that's that's got to be approaching twenty years old now. That's a that's a very old game. Yeah, I can't remember um, the last time someone said that Nintendo didn't hit a home run. With mm. one of their in-studio games, there's lots of people that criticize the systems, mm. but in terms of the games they put out on the systems, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was some a lot of crit- criticism on the Wii U, but I think with the Wii U, the criticism was that it wasn't um, an, enough of an, an expansion from the, the the original Wii. I think, um, yeah, uh, this is the touchpad wasn't that much of a. It's a horn in uh, uh, Mario Kart on the Wii U. You know, oh, okay. like there, there weren't enough reasons to mm-hmm. use the touchpad and to look mm-hmm. down while you were playing the screen or whatever it was. Um, 
So yeah, yeah. The but again, I system see. criticism. People love that Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is really the first time I've dipped my toes in N- Nintendo for quite a while. Like, I did have a Nintendo six sixty four for a little while, um, but I think it broke pretty quickly. Something happened. I don't. I don't re- recall. But um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I just, I got it because I wanted something simple, relaxing that I can just play, play in, in bed and not have to think too, too much about. And I'm just, I, I'm having a ton of fun with it. Nice. Love it. So what about you, man? How, how are you doing? And what have you been up to? I have done several rewatches of Fool for Love. Oh, um, nice. Script is coming along. Uh, the Whedon thing that came up this week kind of threw me off. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute. Um, I was playing The Last of Us Part 2. I had been very excited for that game. Phenomenal. Naughty Dog's one of the reasons I own a PlayStation. They're one of the reasons why I will own a PlayStation 5. They're probably the only reason, other than maybe Sucker Punch, who does Mm -hmm. the infamous series, um, which I really enjoy. And don't get me wrong. I played like 10, 15 hours of Last of Us Part 2. I'm in the Masterpiece camp. Love the writing, love the characters. But I have to admit, I'm so stressed in general at the moment. Mm -hmm. Both good stress and bad stress. Right. You know, uh, it's been a year already for everyone. And then sort of personally and directly for me, there's there's been a lot going on from quitting drinking to yada 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 and uh i just found myself um struggling to pick it up uh every night the it's so emotionally grueling and the first game was emotionally grueling yeah it certainly was for the first game i played most of um the the second one i couldn't help 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 myself and you took me through some of the the uh beats and whatnot and yeah, so I know a bit a bit about it now. Yeah, um, and I mean, it definitely falls into that category of media as art. There was a bit, you know, there's a bit in the first one that occurred, or excuse me, in the second one that occurred, where I kind of just put the controller down and just cried uh, mm. for a minute because I kind of made some emotional connections to things outside of the game, and that's one of my favorite experiences. Yeah, in relatable. Art. Yeah, is is I'm looking for that that resonant emotional connection. Hmm. Um, That's something you and I share, share in common. Uh, that kind of uh, yeah, applying fiction to 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 our lives and whatnot. But the thing that that was not happening when the first game was out was a pandemic. Yeah, and the game is essentially about a pandemic, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, the first month of the pandemic, uh, the most popular movie on Netflix for a little while was Outbreak. Yeah, you know, so to some degree, which uh, I love by I, by the way. I, well, I think we as people um, <laughs> seek out uh, the topic doesn't necessarily keep us from. Uh, current events don't necessarily keep us away from certain topics. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's just so much, and in my country, there's an election year going on, and right. given it's a pretty important election year, we won't get into politics. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and social media is sort of drenched with all of this stuff, so uh, it's just exhausting. It's exhausting, yeah. And exactly. To at the moment for me, I just found myself 
and I had that problem where I waited too long and know that I'm going to have to relearn some of the systems of the game. It's a relatively mm. simple game compared to Red Dead. Um, I haven't played Red, Red Dead in quite in a while as well, so I'm going to have the same issue yeah. when I do jump back in. Um, I'm not done with it. I'm going to get back to it. I don't, I've, I've, I made a mistake of going and reading some of the controversies <laughs> about the game. And I was like, oh, it's this crowd. I, I don't care. I don't care about any of this stuff. I'm enjoying first, it. Like, I know my experience. It my ears pricked up. I'm like, okay, what's going going on here? And I looked into it. And I'm like, is that it? Really? Like, come on, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, I follow Neil Druckmann on Twitter. Same. And every one of his tweets, if you go into people who reply to his tweets, it's all that stuff. And you know, it just forget to me that kind of thing forgets also the time that we're living in, where it's like mm. this is the uh, never mind. I'm staying out of it. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to get into that. I, I I I know my experience. I know what I'm enjoying. I know I'm enjoying the the game, and none of the the things that I read um, resonated with me personally. I did watch the. Yeah. Do you watch girlfriend reviews? No, I don't. Um, this is her, her catches, uh, this is not a review of the game. This is what it's like to be the girlfriend of the person playing the game. (laughs) That is a great concept. Yeah. Her her editing is fantastic. She's very funny. Um, Mm -hmm. and she did one on, uh, the last of us. It was a follow up to her first video on it, which I haven't watched because it contains a bunch of spoilers and, that's about the extent of my like seeking out media on the the game or the conversation or any of that. I don't want to. That's you know I couldn't even watch the the Last Jedi, right? Because I I had become so um, I I couldn't experience it myself. Mm. I was so biased or shrouded in the online conversation about it mm-hmm. that I. It was impossible for me to just watch and enjoy the movie yeah. the first time through. I I had the same experience with uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, I, I saw it in theaters with my uh, brothers when I visited them uh, over uh, Christmas. And in the back of my uh, mind, the whole time I had the whole, you know, on, on the bullshit yeah. from that. And I mean, yeah. maybe I would have agreed with those things. I don't know. Mm. I, I, I mm. never got to find out. I never got to have the unadulterated experience of, of yeah. watching it, you know? Um, yeah. And that's no one's fault but mine. It's no one's fault but mine for consuming the conversation and consuming the online dialogue around right. all of it. So mm. I, uh, um, you know, my morbid curiosity kind of drew me into it with mm-hmm. um, The Last of Us Part Two for a second. I was like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and like... I think it's okay for for people to not like what they've uh, done with the se- sequel. Sure, that's totally fine. But at the same same time, there are some really strong accusations being being thrown around and whatnot. And um, you 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 took me through some some of the events of um, the second game, and you know that like in particular with what they did with uh, Joel, I struggled with big time at first, and then. Even though it's still like something that I I I um, it's 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 not that then I dislike it and I won't go go into spoilers but it's just 
forwards heavy, you know, and it's um, yeah. yeah. But the Last of Us One has a a very challenging ending. Mm. Um, from the the point of the narrative, there's a there are it's very morally and ethically ambiguous, and mm -hmm. it is. Um, the second one shows that they didn't take that for granted to me. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, was yeah. kind of the thing. The whole, you know, if if your universe is going to have, if you're going to grapple with the idea of nihilism, you have to grapple with uh, ethics and philosophy around that, and and know? the con consequences of actions too. Right, and yeah. uh, um, and I feel like they did. I feel like they, mm -hmm. as far as I've gotten through the game, which I'm thinking is about halfway, I feel like mm -hmm. they have. Um. So again, I'm just looking for my own experience, and yeah. I'm open to the idea that that experience might be in the camp of people who are saying are frustrated with it and don't mm -hmm. like it, or mm -hmm. in the camp that think it's a masterpiece. So far, yeah. I'm in the masterpiece camp. Yeah. Um, but I just want to have that experience. And being mm -hmm. someone who works online all the time, uh, more and more, I have to be vigilant about keeping myself out of that conversation until I can have yeah. that that experience. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I myself am I'm the same and I had like a cursory look at the the controversy then yeah, you know, you showed me a few things. We had had the conversation surrounding Joel and now I'm just like all right, cool. That's enough. Um yeah. if if I do get a, a chance to play it because I don't have a PlayStation, I'm just going to uh, enjoy it for for what it is, and 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 see 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 what happens. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I put it down, and you know I have a backlog. My uh, yeah. Excel spreadsheet of all my games uh, has 180 in it right now, and I rolled a new <laughs> one at random. And the rule is, you play for an hour. And mm -hmm. it's okay if you play for an hour and you say, I'm not enjoying it, then you shelve it, and then you re-roll. So I played Psychonauts for an hour or two, which okay. is a PS2 game from uh, Double Fine. Oh, wow, okay. That is, uh, I'd heard lots and lots of uh, good things about, and it's possible that I graphic snobbed my way out of it. <laughs> oh, it happens to the best of us, man. Yeah, where I was like... I was just playing The Last of Us 2, which yeah. might be one of the prettiest games I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I think um, once I get around to playing the first Mass Effect, I'm, I'm going to struggle with, with that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the first one in particular looks pretty dated, from what I can tell. And then from there, I went to The Outer Worlds uh, using the mm -hmm. Xbox Game Pass, which is $5 a month, and it has this uh, game from Obsidian on there. It's Fallout in Space. And is you're enjoying that one? I think so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Tell me more. I'm, I'm playing it. So I'm playing... It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm playing it in 4K on an OLED display oh, um, nice. in HDR. So, oh. <laughs> and the world designs, it, 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 they go for world designs that I've not seen before that are hyper saturated colors. And it, the closest uh, I, I remember is that space game that came out a year or two ago that everyone was up in arms about. The one with the oh, No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky yeah. has a kind of beautiful worlds that you land on that mm. look 
unlike most other games of its ilk yeah that like even mass effect the worlds all look you know it's either a water world or a Mm-hmm. Um, a, a developed the the most random looking one in the game is Mars in Mass Effect Two, I think was where you go to Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, so the worlds are great. It has that Fallout kind of nineteen fifties future aesthetic. Ah, yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, the ships and the items and all of that have that. Problem for me is that I I never actually know if I'm enjoying playing. I I finished Skyrim, mm-hmm. and I finished Fallout Three, and I okay. finished Fallout New Vegas, and I could not finish Fallout Four. Oh um, really? Yeah uh, yeah. Um, I just burned out on Fallout Four. Bethesda games and 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 the, the games that use that engine and that all of that sometimes to me feel like playing a to do list. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you you and I were talking a bit about it yes, yesterday and I really struggled with uh the physics of, of that engine. It, it, it's very yeah, slow you and have funky. To... I think it's Bethesda's pro, pro, yeah, proprietary uh en- engine. I can't remember what it's called, but um yeah, it's Yeah, I really worlds... hope they in, they improve it for the next uh Elder Scrolls game. It's a beautiful game. I mean, Outer mm. Worlds 100% is is another uh, is cut from that uh, same cloth mm-hmm. and for my part I can get over it. it the the sort of my mental access to it is like mystery science theater 3000 like it has a B movie sort of heavy uh, that can be charming yeah it has that that, yeah. that same kind of charm of of uh, plan 9 from outer space kind of mm-hmm. sort of feel to it so that doesn't bother me it's just the to-do list feel of the questing system and yeah. all the green dots that are on screen as you turn around are like, I'm going to head towards that one or whatever. Yeah, feels like so go, go and get a key and open a door and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the questing system feels like a to-do list and there is a dopamine reward to checking an item off the to-do <laughs> list. Certainly, um, yeah. I, it's just one of those things that I'm like, is this fun? Or is this yeah. Farmville addictive? You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the games I got on Switch 2 is uh, Breath of the, the Wild. And I'm wondering, because I've only played like the first ha- half an hour. I'm wondering if, if that might uh, get in a bit um, along those uh, line, lines as well. Uh, I mean, I've only heard wonderful things about um, Same. Breath of the Wild. Same. Um, it's actually the first Zelda game I've ever played. <laughs> That's a bit of a gaming sin, I know, but uh, yeah, it's the truth. I think I, the last Zelda game I played was on the Nintendo. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. So I mean, I've uh, of all of the um, games I've played, Mario has been, or excuse me, uh, Nintendo has has been the least uh, represented in the pantheon of things I've played over time. Me too. Um, like for the last, you know, fifteen years, years or so, I dare say. Yeah, um, I did have a, have a Super Nintendo back in the day, but um, yeah. Then once uh the Xbox came out, I was all all about the Xbox, and then I jumped ship and went with uh PlayStation for a little while, and now I'm basically uh PC master race. <laughs> yeah. Until a couple of days ago. Um. Oh, and I'm watching season four of Gilmore Girls. Oh, nice. Okay. Which I'm enjoying, but I don't think anyone close to me who's heard me talk about the show would 
know that I was enjoying <laughs> it because um, you've uh, talked about it a bit on Twitter, right? You've yeah, shared a couple of yeah, and I I think I I um, initiated or, or or rather set off a couple of defensive reactions uh, with my commentary, which was which is not at all intended, and it's mm. one of the reasons why I I have not done it as much but i think part of the joy of of these kinds of shows these sort of small town you know picket fences or northern exposure or uh any of these is is um you know to, uh, complaining about the dates of the characters or um mistakes they've made or oh just tell her or whatever it is <laughs> but the, if you yeah. care enough to complain then you're having a good time Exactly. You know what I mean? If you weren't com- complaining, you wouldn't care, and you would stop watching. Yeah, I watching, care. Essentially, I like Rory. I like Lorelai. I like um, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character. Can't remember the, her name right now. Rory has the worst taste in boys. <laughs> but every time I tweet that, someone says, "Well, she's seventeen. I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> That's the reason. Nonetheless, as yeah. someone who cares about her character, I'm like, damn it, Rory, work on your taste in men. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, that's uh, one of my least favorite uh, things in in fiction is drama that derives from characters just not talking to each to each yeah. other. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, uh, and, th- and that is a thing. There's not too much of it. Um, mostly the joy is in the of the shows in the dialogue and sort of the small town life and and all mm-hmm. of that. Um. So yeah, uh, I'm enjoying that one. I'm thinking when I finish that show, I may invite a friend of the show, Lonnie from Chipperish oh, yeah. Media, on here because she uh, has watched Gilmore, and we might have a conversation about the seasons, and that'll be the way of uh, uh, reviewing the show. That way, I don't have to make you watch it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you probably will, and anyway, at some some point, I'm sure Probably. you'll finish it. And you're like, oh my god, there's, there's this scene, and it's great, and you should should watch it. I mean, that's essentially what uh, happened with the Good Place, right? You, yeah. you you watch the finale, and you you're like, Jack, you have to see it. So then we sort of watched it together, and then well, bit, bits of it together, and then we got to the finale, <laughs> and and I cried for forty of the fifty minutes that that. Yeah. Uh, finale goes for if again i think i said it last week but if you haven't seen the good place please see it it's it's good for the soul it's wonderful it's wonderful um well we're we've been jibber jabbering quite a bit uh i own that from uh, my little diatribe to open the show which you didn't know i was going to do but neither did i but Um, so we had a um we asked for some comments on uh last week's uh, podcast fear and smoldering in australia brandy yali mm-hmm. sorry brandy brandy yala brandy yala says uh how do you guys select the list of shame movies it's not ones neither of you have seen it's not classics it's not one specific error or genre it's not based on quality are you going through uh some afi list with a weird specialty well brandy um jack and i decided to do this I told him about this thing that I, I I believe that anyone who writes or does media criticism or whatever it behooves them to consume as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was a there were holes in the great films uh, for me. Anything pre nineteen eighties mostly. Um, 
that I hadn't seen. And so uh, to, uh, Jack was interested in the project. Mm-hmm. And very, so very much so, yes. Once we got it in our minds to do it, we sat down and went through every category. What was it? Every genre on IMDb? Yeah, every genre, and um, I myself, I, I, I was also looking at uh, Rot- Rotten Tom- Tomatoes. I think you looked at uh, Roger e- Ebert's list of greatest films and whatnot. And we looked at the AFI Top 100 list, and anything that yeah. was on there that one or both of us had not seen, mm-hmm. uh, we put on the list. We also put things on the list that are personal favorites that the other one yep. had not seen. So for me, that was Arrival and Doctor Sleep and some of those yeah um and, and or, me being the uh horror fan i went and, f- and looked at uh some really classic horror like uh the bella Lu- lugosi 1931 i think it is uh dracula i, p- I put that on there i think bride of frankenstein and then like s- some newer stuff like uh a race ahead from uh david lynch i i believe it is and yeah um and the list is is it's still growing to what this are we, day. Yeah. We still so we're at two hundred and eighty, uh, two eighty five. I think two eighty five. Um, yeah. And then so at the end of each week, we use a random number generator to pick three options for the next one. We so that we can veto choices if we want. Um, so we had kind of a run of so bad they're good movies, which <laughs> I don't like. We'll talk about it in a minute, and. Uh, <laughs> Had one of those occurred again in the the three ro- roles, I would have vetoed one of them because I just needed a break from that genre that I struggle with. Um, and then we pick one of those three randomly, and that's the one we end up watching. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for the question, Brandy. Yes, thanks. Uh, we've also got a comment here from Carly Rich who says... Nice to meet you, Jack. Glad you aren't dead. Me too. Me too. It's good to be alive. Uh, good podcast had one big profound aha breakthrough moment based on something you two d- discussed. So I'm super grateful for, for that. Looking forward to seeing how this uh, how this new dynamic will work. I think it could be really something. Take care, guys. Well, thanks, Carly. Thank um, you, Carly. And finally, Talkus. Tolkis, you told me uh, one time what your name means, and I forgot. I apologize. Yeah, Tal- that's a, a very um, a recognizable character from the uh, streams and whatnot. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, excellent podcast, Ian. I love this. Your content is helping me recover from my last seizure and the anxiety that comes with the experience. Your gold friend. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. And Jack, you had some another one you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, uh, there's also a comment from our dear friend Sarah Ezat, who runs her own channel called The Costume Codex. Uh, she's also a moderator over on our di- Discord. Uh, she simply says, I love you, you too. And well, Sarah, we love you. We love you, you too. too. <laughs> Very much so. All right, let's talk movies. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I so mean, this I, week on our movie nights, we watched two films. Yeah, did the we? first being Were they both films. <laughs> technically, yes. Technically? technically, okay, I'll take technically. <laughs> the first being The Room, <laughs> written, directed, and financed by and starring the absolute enigma that is Tommy 
Wiseau. Uh, also starring Greg Sestero and Juliette Danielle. And, well, if you've been living under a rock for the last few years, or you go out of your way to avoid terrible films, it's about... Um, <laughs> It's kind of well, hard to avoid, even going out of your way to avoid terrible films. It's mm. kind of hard to avoid The Room. Totally. Uh, the like, Room is like one of the most memed in modern times yeah. terrible movies. You would have at least seen a screenshot or, or something. Yeah, yeah, it seems like um, every every 20 years or so, whatever is the worst movie of all time gets kind of mm. reinvented. True. Um, or or whatever one is winning the 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 conversation and the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ones that yeah. I'm familiar with are like Ishtar, which right. does not, Ishtar's funny. Yeah. I will, okay. I will defend Ishtar, but Ishtar used to be the yeah. one in the eighties that everyone said was the worst movie of all time. Oh, Ed, okay. Ed Wood came to light, uh, for a while. And, uh, so plan nine from outer space or Glenn or Glenda was considered, uh, one of the worst films. It's interesting. We, we talk about Ed Wood. Ed Wood, um, like Plan 9 from Outer Space and all of that, has an interesting parallel to The Room okay. in that there was a movie made about those terrible movies that I would probably oh. rather watch than actually watch those terrible movies. <laughs> yeah, um, right, okay. If you haven't seen Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton and starring Johnny Depp as Ed Wood with Bill Murray in it, it is wonderful. Um, okay, okay. Uh, and Walter Matthau plays Bella Lugosi. No, not Walter Matthau. I'm forgetting his name right now. But um, anyway, and then the room has. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Just um, the going uh, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is which is which is a great film. Um, and I think, like, I would recommend watching the Dis Disaster Artist and then watching the the Room because yeah. it'll it'll give you a much greater appreciation for it. Which for you, it, I think, in um, fairness, you told me to do, and you didn't do it. I said I was going to do it, <laughs> and then I didn't do and it. You didn't do it. But, but but we can still watch yeah. it at so, some point. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, this film came out in two two thousand and three and went by unnoticed for quite some time. I mean. I don't know exactly when it started taking gain the popularity that it has now, but it seems to exploded in the last five years or so, maybe even a bit less than that. Um, but yeah, it, the film, it's about, um, I mean, do well, there's a guy named Johnny and everyone around Johnny is a bit of an asshole. Um, and then some stuff, I, I, I don't, what's it about? <laughs> It's about Johnny. Is and, it? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's 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 a strange thing. Um, but it's yeah, as we were talking about, it's become famous in recent years and is now known as the Citizen Kane of bad films. Yeah, I love that. And my God, <laughs> go huh? ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, and like, it's bad. It is. It is truly awful. It's it's a masterclass in how not to make a film, and I freaking love it. I eat it up. I it's... love the the description of Citizen Kane of bad films because there's that there's a famous scene in Citizen Kane where Orson Welles is an old man and his wife leaves him, and mm -hmm. so he 
tears her room apart, and there's supposed to be the symbolism oh, of him yeah. tearing down, like, you know, uh, yeah. his regrets and rage for the way his life has turned out. He's finally, uh, you know, it, it sort of finally breaks through. And there's a scene just like that in... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because um, I believe that the, the You Are Tearing Me Apart, Lisa, was intended... Uh, that, that line was intended as an homage to uh, Jimmy Dean. The, yeah. You're tearing me apart! Um, but, yeah, oh, so I, much with this... Yeah. I was reminded of Citizen Kane when, he wa- when uh, Tommy was walking around his room he shared with Lisa, <laughs> knocking things down, and, you yeah. know, all their photos of corkscrews yeah. that they had, and, throwing and them on spoons. the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the story goes that um, all of the photos in the photo frames were just the stock photos that came with the frames when they when they, when they they bought them. Yeah. Uh, because they couldn't afford to put real... Um, um, yeah, photos in the frames, I guess. Uh, the film, it costs $6 million, and it is believed that Tommy Wiseau paid for all of it, and that's why no one could really tell him no. But there was really ridiculous spending. Like, he he, he bought two, two cameras, and he insisted uh, the film be shot both digitally and on film. No one really know, knows why. Um... And yeah, no one knows how he made his uh, money and how he was able to finance it, but he did somehow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so much of it is is just baffling. It's 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 so odd and disjointed, and I love it. <laughs> but I've got yeah. a taste for that thing. Yeah, I, I I've said before. Um, I wish I had the bone in my body that allows me to enjoy the so bad they're good movies. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Um, right. They're really not fun for me. I can, yeah, I mean, who the, like we've said, who would want to have less fun? Right. If they had the choice. <laughs> right. Like if you had the choice to, it's not. It, maybe it's pretentious, but if it is, it's a pretension that I'm not choosing. I I get it, but um. I, yeah, I, just I can't turn off the part of my brain that is watching is mm-hmm. it thinking why is this cut so long? Yeah, why for me? Why, yeah, why is this edit so weird? You know, what's, I have what's with all, all the those, roses. <laughs> I've got all of those thoughts too watching it, but I enjoy that. I enjoy going. Wait, oh, why God. is this happening? Why? What the hell is going on? Like I, I have fun with that. It's like. It's like watching a train wreck. You know, you shouldn't watch, but you can't help it. Yeah, <laughs> that's how, how it is for me, anyway. But yeah, it's a it's an odd film. It's it's disjointed. There are scenes that don't serve any purpose and make no sense. Um, there there's one scene where four of the uh, guys, uh, Tommy, oh sorry, Johnny, uh, Mark, Denny, and some other dude, they they decide to go outside and play football whilst wearing tuxedos. Like, why? I don't know. Not the I don't s- know. That's either the first or the second. No, or the third football sequence in the yeah. movie. Yeah, I think there's three of them. Throw the football around. Yeah, and the dialogue too is very like 
each character talks the same. They all sound like the same person. There is no individuality in, in, in the way they speak or anything. Like, it's, it's, you can tell Tommy wrote it all himself because there, there's just no, there, there's no indivi- individuality per personality. They all talk exactly the same. Yeah, and um, I can't remember. I think there were four sex scenes. Awful, awful sex scenes. Yeah. And one implied sex scene before the 30-minute yeah. mark in the movie. Yeah, there was three in the first 30 minutes, I think. Um, and in the first one, it's so, like... First, first of all, Tommy's making more more noise than, than uh, Juliet Daniel or Lisa is. Uh, and... For some reason, he looks like he's like humping her, her belly button. It's, I mean, without getting into the the, it, it did make me realize. I, I mean, I I suppose I hadn't thought about how there's actually an art mm-hmm. to a good sex scene in a movie, right? Um, and it's this isn't not it. <laughs> just point the you know there there is something to the performance there is something to the i i've never really thought about that i've never had cause to think about that because i've never seen sex scenes that made me want to have sex so little (laughs) the way these did i mean they were repugnant uh, for me it was um a big part of it too was the music during the sex scenes it was just like cheesy r&b like trying to be sexy and because well, of that it just wasn't and they sexy. have the drapes and there's there's yeah. there's one scene where she's topless and he's like shaking rose petals over her and they're <laughs> giggling together it's so painful i think um and in the second scene with with uh johnny and lisa he pulls out a rose rose as well and we were a bit co- confused by his obsession with our uh, ro- roses but what i've read is that um Apparently, um, uh, Tommy wanted to do a second sex scene, but Juliet Daniel was, or Danielle, I should should say, sorry, she was too uncomfortable to to film um, a second sex scene, so they had had to use uh, left leftover footage from the first one. That's why you see a rose, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, they're not additive. They're not. No. What they're no. they're you know they look uncomfortable. They they're, and they're, they look and they awkward. Are- and they're uncomfortably long too, like they're like much longer than long. they need to be. Yeah. And then there's this there's this gratuitous shot of Tommy Wiseau's ass, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> what? No. Like. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, again for me, it's just it's. Uh, I think I appreciated all the meme stuff about the film. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if I had to watch these movies in 30-second increments, mm-hmm. I would have more fun with them. Right. The high doggy in the uh, flower shop scene is very funny. You're tearing me apart, yeah. Lisa, is funny. Yeah. It's just the huge chunks. My experience decays into just surreal <laughs> nausea. Right. With, like, why, why, is, yeah. uh, why are these people talking this way? Yeah. You know, um, anyway. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, ratings. I, yeah, I, I, 
Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I, 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 yeah. I, I, it's a bit like the... Uh, um, I did a nerd shipper video called The Last Time I Got High where I talked about mm. sensory overload. Uh, I hate smoking weed. Mm. Um, and I had an experience where I was just... It, it causes me so much anxiety. Right. Um, and and watching the room made me feel like I that way. I had okay, that duplicate yeah. experience of just like, ugh. Yeah. You know, I would have rather been having a conversation with you or playing yeah. Destiny or watching yeah. anything redeeming. Yeah. Um, so, like... But I, if, wish, if, I wish I was the other way. Right. And yeah. and yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you want to have have more uh, fun? Yeah. But yeah, um, if anyone listening has hasn't seen it, I would rec- recommend seeing it. But I wouldn't recommend watching it alone. Get a group of friends together and 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 check it out. Yeah, I can't. I can't. That's uh, only if you you have a taste for, for for that kind of thing. If you you don't, I just wouldn't wouldn't yeah. bother. But um, I um, yeah, it's. It's a baffling film, and and it doesn't make sense. And I, but but I think what Tommy Wiseau was going for, I think he wanted to write like a a tragic he- hero story, like a, a a guy who sort of try as he uh, might, he just gets his heart ripped out and stomped on. Um, at least I think that's what he was going for. Um, and personally, I think now this is this is just a theory. I'm not basing this on anything other than just my own opinion, but. I think it's probably like a self-insert kind of, kind of story. I think, I think some of the events of the film actually happened to uh, Tommy at some point throughout his uh, life, and that would kind of explain why it plays out the way it does and why it's so dis- disjointed. Because I think he he in- insisted on them playing out the way that they they played out in his life. But the problem is that we're talking about something. Um, and an event in in his life that involved probably several people, but um, he he he's only telling it from one person's per- perspective, his own. So it, it, it's and, and and because of that, it doesn't feel as natural, and and it's just weird because like, well, and there's that... I mean, from that perspective, if you're going to apply that lens, uh, mm-hmm. the Johnny being so underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. He's the least developed character. There's no complexity. There's no. Yeah, he's the main character. Yeah, if that if that whole thing is based on events in Tommy Wiseau's life, <laughs> that shows a profound lack of self awareness. Him uh, uh, him being the least developed character means that everything yeah. it, it, that he has no sense of events that brought that on or events yeah. that, that whatever yeah. you know he just hates whoever Lisa was in his life exactly. and wanted to make a hate piece about her and I feel exactly. terrible for the actress yeah. you know, whenever I when we watch that movie because yeah. I was like yeah. anyway and while we were uh, <laughs> you made me laugh while, while we were watching at first you said like has he seen a movie before? Yeah. And then you were like, wait, has he even had a conversation with someone before? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a lot. And then you watch yeah, the sex um... scenes and it's like, has he had sex before? Because <laughs> uh everything feels dissonant and off and awkward and wrong. Yeah. 
And just uh, lastly, before we move on, a friend of mine uh, the other night was telling me about a book written by Greg Sestero. It's called, let me look at my notes here. Um, the Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, the greatest bad movie ever made. Um, I haven't read it, read it myself, but my friend was telling me that um, it's not, not only an interesting read, but it's also hilarious. Um, she said that pretty much every page had something that, that, that made her laugh, like anecdotes about the making of the uh, room. I plan on check, checking out myself at some point. Um, yeah, I think that's the book that the movie was based on, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the, the disaster artist. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, after that, we watched... This is um, one of the reasons watched... why I, I love this project. Mm. Yeah. So we followed up the room with My Fair Lady. <laughs> a 1964 musical starring Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison plays a professor who makes a bet that he can take a poor, uneducated flower girl off the street and by teaching her phonetics, pass her off as a lady, which had a much greater connotation uh, from the period that the movie is from, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in front of royals. Jack, what did you think of it? I... I was so surprised, man. I had a lot more fun with it than I thought I, w I would. Um, I'm not hugely into mus musicals. Yeah. Um, my kind of musical is like, um, like for example, I love I I love Grease, um, stuff like that. I like I like movies that that don't have songs in them. You know what I mean? Um, and, and and this was pretty much that. Um, but yeah, it, um, in spite of like some uh, dated ideas and comedy surrounding, you know, gender roles and all of that stuff, um, I, I liked I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. And I think a huge part of, for for me was uh, Audrey Hep Hepburn as uh, Eliza Do Doolittle. She was so just charming yeah. and funny, and and she was like a ray of sunshine. Um, yeah. Uh, while while I was researching um, the film, I found apparently uh, Julianne Andrews was first considered for the for the role because she was in the Broadway version. I think. Um, Where I I think it was the London. It, it, I think it originally. Oh, it wasn't Broadway. Aired, yeah. Okay. Uh, if I remember yeah. correctly, but uh, uh, yeah. but yes, she was in the original uh, performance of it. Uh, yeah. As a as a staged uh, version. Yeah. And and she was considered for the role in the uh, film, but I don't know. Like like Julie Andrews is she's a she's a legend in her her own right, of course. But I just don't think anyone could have could could have given it the same sort of pizzazz and the same charm that Audrey Hepburn did. To be honest, um, yeah. By the end of the film, I I, I mean Julie Andrews is staggering. But, but yeah, by the, yeah, yeah, by the end of the film, I I don't think I can ever imagine that with anyone other than Audrey Hepburn mm. in it. I realized after we'd watched it that that was not the first time I I think I saw that in a stage play in college. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, so wow. like sometime in the late '90s, early 2000s, I saw a version of that performed by college students, mm -hmm. and it's not. It's not Greece. No. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more, um, which I think I saw done in high school. It's a little bit more of a, um, 
it's a little bit more technical. It's a little bit right. more it, it, watching it. I I um I could very easily imagine it done poorly. Oh, easily. Do you know easily, what I mean? Yeah. Especially yeah. and it's... I'm sure it has been done done poorly many times. Yeah. Like on stage. <laughs> Um, I try not to have expectations one way or another uh, whenever we watch things. I would say, uh, you know, it, it's the whole thing with the room. I'm always trying uh, to enjoy whatever we're watching. I love loving things. And we've watched some things that, like the red shoes, that even oh. halfway through, uh, I was like, I'm having a miserable time. But I was looking up, why do people love this? I want to understand mm the perspective of of mm. why people enjoy um this film uh but so that said uh when i saw that my fair lady had an almost three hour runtime, i got a little nervous we had had the same feeling yeah we haven't allowed i was like oh i'm gonna need a lot of coffee for, for this one <laughs> we have not had a lot of great experiences yet with films that uh approach or eclipse the three hour marker not at all but this one flew by. Um, mm. Songs fell into two categories. Actual songs, Just You Wait, Henry Eggins with a chorus. <laughs> They're catchy. And then a whole bunch of uh, what I would call spoken rhyming poetry. Yeah. With music yeah. in the background. And um, we were thinking it was maybe the actors or performers that were the problem, but I don't think that's the case. Audrey Hepburn is actually dubbed by a different singer in a few sequences. Yeah. So if there, were, if the actor had been struggling with the music, they just would have dubbed them or done mm. something differently. It was that particular style of the the. the Beat poetry is the wrong uh, uh, description of it, but that particular sp- style of like singing poems mm-hmm. uh, or chanting poems to music. Anyway, flew by. Um, this is the third film of Audrey Hepburn's I've watched. I've seen Roman Holiday and the last movie she was ever in, Steven Spielberg's Always. I had only seen uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, which I haven't I, seen. I believe. Um, and she, as you said, she just has a quality. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's one of the most beautiful actresses of all time. That isn't what we're talking about. Uh, that I wrote the same thing you did. Exudes sunshine. Yeah. Um, something is wonderful. Like oh, we we were talking about. It. I think two of the most beautiful. Like when you think about the most beautiful actresses from mm-hmm. that time, the ones that come to mind are Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly. Um, I'm thinking Grace Kelly in To Catch a Thief, or um, was she in North by Northwest? I specifically remember, oh, Rear Window. And uh, you've got um, the likes of like Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but Audrey Hepburn, more than any of the ones that we mentioned, just has that quality of something. um, It's a a brightness, I think. It's, it's, yeah. she and Rex Harrison in the movie are blindingly charismatic. Um, Rex Harrison, we might say problematically so. Um, mm-hmm. He plays this misogynist douchebag, um, and who has he actually has a song "Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man," <sighs> but he's so watchable mm. and charming that. Um, uh, for, again, for me, I, I, I think, 
it would be easy for someone to mistake the things he says as things we're supposed to believe if they wanted to because he's so captivating in the part right. of this uh jerk Hmm. Um, the the closest compa- the only comparison I could think of was was like the Han Solo roguish, you know, mm-hmm. seems a little cool, but that's not close enough. I I, I I don't know how to explain it. I also think it was they tried to he it was very in intentional to make him kind of a douche but still likable i i think that that was very deliberate he's such a featured character that it's a long movie it's too long a movie um to have him be just be a jerk without Mm -hmm. likability whatever rex harrison's charisma is in that particular role um which is like clever and cute, or I don't know how to describe. Uh, yeah. It's so funny the indiscernible nature of some of the, these performances. Yeah. Um, and it's important. It's important, uh, which I'll get into in a minute. But given the that history almost, um, of this uh, musical, that was that almost I up. that was like an an innocence about him. I think I think I would say because um, he wasn't he wasn't intentionally mean. You know what I mean? He was just. Well, he has a line in the play that, or in the the uh, the movie where he says he treats everyone the same way. He's an mm-hmm. equal opportunity jerk to everyone, <laughs> but that's not actually true. His friend in the movie, um, who's there, who he makes the bet with that he can turn Audrey Hepburn into a lady, um, he has a bet with his friend, and he treats his friend fine the entire movie. You know, true. Um, there's no song about why can't his friend be more like him, but there is why can't a woman be more like a man. Hmm. Um, but you, you mentioned the way some of the stuff, you said some of the stuff hasn't aged. The whole concept of a man knowing the way a woman is supposed to be is so weird. Um, Higgins makes fun of Eliza constantly. And her father in uh, the musical is written as a character who is a poor drunk who likes being lazy uh, and not working, which mm-hmm. feels like a classist interpretation of poverty. Yeah. Um, uh, which, uh, yeah, the whole thing has sort of difficult class questions. Yeah, I found that um, pretty uh, frustrating. All all of that stuff, um, especially the uh, the uh, stuff relating to like gender roles and whatnot. Um, I I did try to sort of see it through the lens of its time. Sure. Um, but well, that, it, but that yeah, was inevitably. Yeah, yeah. Like, but that was kind of difficult. Like, it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily ruin the film for me. But, um, that's I, I think that's solely because, as as we've said, uh, Rex Harrison and, and Audrey Hepburn was so damn ch- charming. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, really in the song, there are catchy songs. Even the with a little bit. With a little bit, which is just yep. very like it's uh oh, being lazy and cheating on my wife. But with a little bit, uh, we'll get away. His, her dad's supposed to be charming, and just through a modern lens, we're like, yeah. <laughs> but we say all of this again, uh, acknowledging we really enjoyed it. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I just think I, it, part of the reason I like watching stuff with you is the discussion. Yeah. Uh, about these things and I think the contrast is very, yes every everything needs to be taken in a time or or sort of um, 
thought about in the context that it was made or the age that it's trying to reflect but that doesn't mean you don't engage with the material or you don't exactly. you you don't take the time to you know um consider it through a modern lens yeah and right. then you um uh enjoy what there is to enjoy you know exactly but yeah. to me that's part yeah. of the process of enjoying whatever it is and yeah. gun's a great example gun in war zone you know, um, that is such an old, tr a cliche um, trope slash stereotype at this point. Yeah. The um, straight gang kind of kind of deal. Yeah, and I think yeah. that when we watch that stuff, that's what there is to say. Yeah, this mm. sucks. And J. August Richards does a great job with it, and I love mm -hmm. the scene between he and his sister, and the drama is, is wonderful, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, but, you know, it does need that acknowledgement of, yeah. at least for me watching it, I, I need to just go, yeah. why am I uncomfortable? Oh, because yeah. uh, representation and all of that, and this is a problem, and okay, and then I can kind of go, let's see what's good here. Yeah. I also think with um, all the films from like the 50s and 60s, you have to make certain concessions in a way and also just understand that you're going to see something very different from the entertainment that we see today. Um, um, you have to... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, 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 you need to kind of, um, I guess, change your not your perspective but but try and see it your expectations I, I, yeah your yeah expectations. expectations yeah 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 um there's a there, there there's a particular way to to watch films of this era i think yeah so higgins abuses eliza uh through much of it verbally uh spars with her constantly i mean they do have a back and forth kind of relationship through the whole thing and then she passes the test wins him the bet in a stunning mm -hmm. moment where um uh she's presented to royalty and wins everyone in the crowd yeah. and so forth and higgins takes all responsibility for it owns it makes her feel like she's nothing she leaves uh by the way spoilers for my fair lady i guess <laughs> she leaves um him and says she's not coming back and then and we the, cheered. We were like, we yes. Were, yeah, you don't need him. Yeah. You don't need him. <laughs> you go, she, girl. And then she comes back at mm. the end of the film. And there's a... That annoyed me. Yeah. There's a... Uh, uh, it ends with him realizing that he has feelings for her, but when she comes back saying, uh, fetch my slippers for me, uh, Eliza, which I think there's multiple readings. Yeah. I think um, you could. Readings? I think one of the readings you could take was that because there is um, lean, leaning up to that final scene, we see um, um, Higgins all sad and de dejected, and as if he's he, he's contemplating the error of his ways, so right. to speak. And so we could make the assumption that he's a changed man, but eh, there's not enough, though. I don't. I'm right, gonna... and Audrey Hepburn is the one who has to make the choice to come yeah. back, despite um, his abuse. So um, I read a little bit about the history of it that I wanted mm -hmm. to share. Um, the musical was based on a stage play called Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw which in turn was based on the Greek myth or was an interpretation of the inspired by uh, the Greek myth 
Pygmalion, in which a Greek king and sculptor falls in love with one of his sculptures when it comes to life. Um, which, you know, given the plot of the movie, you can see the implications there. I read the, the wiki article about George, the play, Pygmalion, um, and it's identical to My Fair Lady, essentially. There's minor changes throughout, except for the final scene. Uh, in the play, Eliza um, and Higgins fight. Eliza threatens to teach phonetics. And this is the thing that actually enrages Higgins, that she would use the knowledge that he gave her um, to have power in the world. And Eliza realizes that she has power over Higgins and walks out on him while he tells her to get groceries. And the play ends. That's the end of the play. So Eliza leaves Higgins in the play and it ends. All of that stuff is in My Fair Lady, mm -hmm. except there's another scene where Higgins realizes he's in love with her and then she comes back and he says, fetch uh, my slippers. During the run of the play, the producers and audiences wanted the play to have a happy ending. And so they eventually shaped one in which Eliza returns to Higgins and they get married. George Bernard Shaw hated the ending and wrote an essay explaining why the play had to end the way he had written. It was the only ending that protected Eliza's integrity. And that was in 1914. That's very ahead of its time. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it changes... Yeah. Uh, it, it makes the whole thing a... The whole narrative becomes this empowering, progressive... A story of Eliza sort of casting off the chains of or, or or taking the power of class and education to cast off kind of sexism and misogyny and so forth. Yeah. And then the 1964 uh, version comes along, and I don't think it's hyperbolic to say it's one of the most iconic musicals of all time. Not easily. Top tier is probably Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz. Though it's, I think it's interesting that I don't think of Wizard of Oz as a musical. Me neither. The Wizard of Oz is most people are so surprised to learn this, but that's like top ten fa favorite films for for me. I love the Wizard of Oz, but I again, I th I think I said earlier, I um how some musicals to me are like films with songs in them, and that's how, how I see yeah. the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah, in my head, that 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 isn't in that genre. It's just a classic film. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. weird how that's wrong is what i'm saying it is a musical uh mm. by any standard of the term it's just sure. mentally it's funny how we sort of uh get around those yeah. things but anyway right in the next year i think there's musicals like my fair lady and um uh ones of that ilk i actually don't know musicals well enough i'm just saying that that Singing one in the rain yeah but it's yep. funny that that the film goes with the diet version of the ending that george bernard bernard shaw hated uh, where she comes back to Higgins. The ending didn't didn't ruin it for me, but I I would have preferred it to end with her being like, yeah, screw you, and walking out and or going and living happily ever after. Higgins changes. Yeah, which I think they tried to imply, but it wasn't enough. They implied, but then he... he now, there, again, I think there's a reading of it where you can say that he and Eliza have a combative relationship, and they love that they have a combative yeah. relationship. And so sure. she comes back and he re-engages with their combative relationship because now they both realize that yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But again, just like Rex Harrison being so charismatic, 
that if you wanted to misinterpret the material, it's not trying very hard to prevent you from doing that. And, right. and I don't think that, you know, maybe George Bernard Shaw was trying to make a statement, but I don't think that My Fair Lady was trying to make a socio-political uh, statement about... No, I think it was just gender trying to and, be cute. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. nonetheless, it's there. I mean, there, mm. it, it's volatile. There's There are volatile ideas within uh, the musical itself. So, um, yeah, it, it's funny. It's It has kind of the opposite final scene effect of Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. old man, the, yeah, the old man in the boat with Jack Lemon, and Jack Lemon pulls off his wig and says, "Ah, oh, f- screw it, Peter, I'm a man." Yeah, and the no old man perfect. says, "Nobody's perfect," which is yeah. this like lovely love is love is love, love kind it. of thing. Yeah. Um, Gorgeous. Yeah, that to me made the movie, made the yeah. the experience of the it, film. I was like, "Oh, it okay." Turned it into something so much more in- endearing for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and then this one has that ending where we all went, no, Eliza, yeah. no. Yeah. It didn't ruin it, like I said, but it was like, oh, come on. Yeah. yeah. But either way, yeah. we, had, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Great production. The two leads are unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the set does, designs <laughs> were fa- fantastic, and, and the costuming was great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really well-made film for its time. All right, so Jack... A conversation I've been dreading all week. It is time, buddy. Um, it is time. <laughs> let's talk about uh, Mr. Joss Whedon. Um, yes. Kind of. Kind of. Kind, kind of. of. Caveat yeah. there, kind Let of. Let me explain how this conversation uh, is going to go. Now, first of all, unfortunately, um, you know, poor Jack here. There are just going to be certain circumstances where things that relate to the channel come up and this is the medium where i i have to talk sure. about them yeah. so uh you know chime in man as you have thoughts of course yeah. but um we'll do, we'll do. i do have a prepared statement for people listening yeah. but we're um <clears throat> as we've discussed like we've talked about this uh subject a lot of uh, the last couple of days and you and i agree very much and and so i don't have a great deal to say beyond what you're yeah what you have to 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 say so yeah but this is this is i'm going to qualify this conversation quite a bit um and uh it would be fair to say that that whenever i wake up in the morning and i see that joss is trending in social media i i i think to myself is today the day that i'm going to go get a job at office max because uh, now that's an irrational sort of fear, but um, well, let me—I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so here's the deal: if, if for anyone listening, if you're wondering what there is to talk about or why Joss might be in the news, I'm not going to cover any of that stuff. Um, you're free to Google, go read up on them um, to your heart's content. I started Passion of the Nerd as a place where I could examine and talk about art and media that I find inspiring or to make things to entertain people and to tell my own stories. I do not want to start talking about gossip or speculating on celebrity stories. I'm not sure that I can think of a pursuit that sounds more tedious, exhausting, and less interesting to me than that. I don't do takedown videos. I don't do attack videos. Even writing negative reviews of episodes or movies is one of my least 
favorite pursuits. Talking about this stuff struck me as serving no other purpose than to be some sort of performative statement where I said, oh, I'm not with him. But that requires... But I'm just not interested in that. And that requires a whole bunch of concessions to news stories and all of this other garbage. Let me... Just bear with me. Let me keep going. Um, And look... Issues of gaslighting, abuse of power, potential douchebaggery are important things for us to talk about as a culture. And they are being talked about. But I'm not a sociologist. I'm the guy that talks about vampire soul cannon and puts red arrows on bare-chested men. (laughs) Um, However, that has been my... uh, There was a comment on a recent video that spawned a pretty thoughtful discussion and made me rethink my position slightly. Um, So, in no particular order, um, number one, I can't ignore the fact that the bulk of the work I've done so far focuses primarily on Whedon's work. A few people use the term love letter to the Whedonverse, and I think that's fair. I didn't necessarily set out from the start to make that the case, but here we are, such that admittedly, Um, You know, I have that question going on of, is there ever going to be something in the news that tanks the thing that I've decided to make my full-time career because I haven't diversified content enough? So that's the first thing. Number two, I have at various times in episode guides talked about events outside of the episodes um, itself or the show including things like Whedon's stated philosophy in interviews, Glenn Quinn, Seth Green, and I can't remember the actress's name right now, uh, Maggie, leaving season four. Um, And so maybe it's unclear when I'm willing to do that. Uh, I think I, I got the sense from this thread that I read that some people look at the fact that I do talk about things outside of the show from time to time but have been ignoring um, the Joss Whedon news stories that have been going by. Um, So maybe it's unclear when I do both was uh, number two. Number three, other than the channel appearing to be a love letter to his stuff, there are plenty of videos on the channel that praise Whedon's script, direction, etc. I've used him as a keyword tag on YouTube numerous times. and when a commentator, uh, a, a commenter pointed this out as a potential willingness to capitalize off of using his name when it suits me, uh, as opposed to ignoring potential misdeeds, I want to address that uh, in a minute. Mostly to me, that comes down to just YouTube keywording and, and the way all of that stuff works. Number four, it's always important for me to own the fact, before we get into any of this, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making this up as I go along. So I'm going to share with you the thoughts that I've had so far, and I'm going to kind of run through these four points in reference to um, some of this stuff. Anyway, after reading that comment chain, I opened a poll on the main channel asking, do you want me to weigh in on Joss Whedon, the public figure? That question was a little more open-ended than I intended. YouTube doesn't edit it after you start a poll, which makes perfect sense to me. You don't want to change the thing that people thought they were voting on. What I meant was, do you want me to weigh in on my approach to Joss Whedon, the public figure? 
Um, but still, le me leaving things so general generated a bunch of responses from you guys that I really uh, found interesting. Jack, you want to read the first one? Uh, from Pluto says, I won't vote one way or the, the other, which we totally re respect, of course. Um, it's entirely up to you. I think we all know that Joss is a flawed hu human being, as a pretty much all of us. We're all flawed in one way or another. Um, That's much what this like podcast is about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Joss is a flawed human being, much like his ca characters. So discussing his terrible personal behavior o over the years to his employees and, and wife just seems, well, pointless. Isn't Pointless isn't the correct word. Um, it seems unhelpful. We know what he has done is bad. We can only hope that he understands that and makes the decision to change for himself or has hopefully already been working towards change, changing himself. And I, I mean, I talk a lot about re redemption and, and, and I, I believe some somebody should uh, be able to do that. Not that I'm commenting one way or another on this, but yeah, redemption is an important thing. Uh, Eva Luna says, difficult question. On the one hand, it would be an interesting topic to take on. On the other hand, it might be a hard thing to do. Let's face it, you would be talking about someone you've never met before based on what is at the moment mostly hearsay. Then again, I'd be interested to hear what you'd make of the whole thing. So yes, I think. Wait, no. Maybe? Uh, Eva, you expressed my feelings about this completely. Mine too. <laughs> uh, we've also got another one from Queen in the North. Um, I've actually been wanting to comment about this on the video if you mentioned trying to not judge the art by the artist again. I don't think there's a 100% correct answer, but it does feel a bit disingenuous to say that and then dive into all of the, these works and beliefs that, that Whedon has, such as absurdism, etc., that impact his writing. Right. Because that is absolutely all about how the artist affects the art and to act like... and. And, and to act like the way he has treated women and others doesn't have an impact on his work the same way feel, feels wrong. Again, I don't expect you to have an answer. That's but good. just look at how his treatment of Charisma Carpenter changed Cordelia. Okay, so there's a couple of things in uh, what Queen in the North said here. First of all, I think she's... I apologize for... Uh, Queen, I assume she, uh, says uh, is is suggesting uh, that I was making the death of the art. Now, I'm going to let me lead with I'm not 100% clear on art versus the artist versus death of the author, which are separate concepts. Um, death of the author, if I remember correctly, is a way of analyzing a piece of fiction or media uh, in which the author, we don't consider the author as a part of it. We just consider the work itself. Obviously, I don't do that. Um, uh, because I've brought in Whedon, I've brought in his philosophy and so forth. Art versus my understanding of art versus the artist um, is something different. So that's something I'll get to in a minute. Many people mention Charisma Carpenter and how that changed Cordelia. I agree. I'll talk about that in a second. But it was a great comment. All of these, by the way, great comments. And I loved yeah. the wide variety of yeah. feedback and thoughts that everyone had. Anywhere mm -hmm. from that you're not TMZ mm. to no, I think it would be interesting and here's why. 
Yeah. Um, it was um, difficult to uh, choose which uh, co- comments to fe- feature because there was so, so many great, great ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Laura uh, FJS said, um, I don't think you should comment on it because it won't change anything. I studied drama, TV, and film, and I can tell you now all people in the world are passionate, and with passion can come frustration. None of what I've heard has shocked me. He's fully involved and passionate about all his projects, which is why his work means so much to so many. Laura, we appreciate the comment. Yep. Uh, We have another one from Anna or Anna Prados. I think it's relevant in context for the episodes or shows them themselves, but I don't like it when it takes on personal form because most of what it said is rumor is rumor mongering and it will most probably attract haters independent of the review itself that anything else ah if it will most likely probably attract um um I think she ha- means haters, haters more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um so when his his personal becomes relevant on a guide, signal it there. Um, I, I'm going to skip down here. Sapphire says, I think in the context of the show, when exploring themes or choices made by the cre- creators, commenting on the wider knowledge we have as viewers in the present can be very relevant. My first thought is Xander and about how a lot of his characterization could be seen as a self-insert by Joss. Huge story decisions in the run seem to have been born from a place of trying to regain control of the narrative surrounding certain characters. William the Bloody, that was a whole thing with James Marsters, who, um, uh, again, was a new piece of news in a podcast that was, I thought, taken out of context, but we're not getting into the specific things. Um... I think while it could be easier, and I do understand why people prefer to see the text as separate from its creators, that's, again, death of the author, I think. Uh, We don't experience the text separately from our own lives, but as part of it. In bypassing exploring certain elements of the Buffyverse creation, we might be missing opportunities for growth in our understanding and enjoyment of the work. That's a wonderful comment. Uh, Thank you, Sapphire. And uh, last one here from Catherine Lakin. Uh, you, of, of course, should if you want to, but that would be a video I would skip. Totally un- understand that. Fair I would enough. skip it too. <laughs> <laughs> I, prob- I probably would as well. Yeah. Um, death of the author, not to mention hundreds of people were involved in making these shows, which is a very good point, I think. Um, would you also then make a video about Nicholas Brendan? Just feels like a part of art that really doesn't in- interest me. But again, if you feel com- compelled, I wouldn't tell you not to. I would just personally not watch. Now, totally fair enough. Uh, thank you, Catherine, uh, for the comment. Yes. We appreciate it. All of these comments collectively have little elements of things that uh, are part of my response here, um, which is why I thought it was interesting. We are all culturally, this is not a new thing, you know. Um, there have been, there's been great art, uh, art made by artists who were, uh, I don't even want to go there. Again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid um, certain pitfalls and traps to this conversation. So let me stick with what I wrote here. Um, In my mind, there are two things to speak to. The first is my approach to the content on the channel with regard to um, stories that exist outside of the episodes. The second, and for anyone listening, and that's mostly just for anyone listening to this podcast who 
I assume you're interested in Jack and I, um, because the, we're sort of the subjects of this podcast. Uh, so the second thing is my approach as an individual to these kinds of stories. So when it comes to the channel, I'm sure someone can find exceptions in the hundreds of videos I've made, but generally speaking, my approach to any stories related to cast and crew from the movies or shows that I talk about, whether that was Nicholas Brendan's personal life, Adam Baldwin's politics, or anything around Joss, has been to ignore it. These shows are made by hundreds of people. I'm not interested in their personal lives. The only exception is if the story or detail itself had some effect on the episode, season of the show, or thesis of the essay I'm writing. All of these examples I brought up earlier, from Whedon's philosophy to Glenn Quinn's personal struggles to Oz and Maggie's departure in season four, fell under that banner. They all had direct connections to the stuff that I wanted to talk about in the videos, um, uh, or the so the thesis of the essay, or they affected the outcome of the season. Poor Glenn Quinn's situation uh, was a major turn for what happened to the show. So there was no way of doing the show justice without talking about it. So in my mind, that's the line for me when things uh, when it comes to the channel. Now, obviously, Joss had a bigger hand than most of the hundreds. But the fact that remains that without context in an episode or an essay, there's no reason for it to be in a video. You could argue that Joss's reported personal life points to the fact that he isn't someone who should be held up as some sort of feminist ideal. But there was already lots of evidence in Buffy itself that no one should have been doing that. Buffy was groundbreaking and a huge ideological step, but before any of the Whedon news stories came to light, there was already a ton of discussion on its issues, on the, the things that it, it, it did poorly and... Uh, what I've referred to in the episode guides as its dated feminism. Uh, a number of the comments brought up Cordelia and Charisma Carpenter's treatment in season four. I'm not on season four yet. I've been planning on talking about that debacle for years now. That absolutely had a major impact on the storylines for the season. Charisma recently did an interview on a podcast I've saved that will be included when we get there, talking about her experience of getting pregnant, trying to inform the cast and crew, um, and, and the ways in which that was managed. Um, so Angel Season 4 is going to be a challenge to talk about regardless. It's, for me, the most difficult and frustrating season of the show to, to address. What I'm probably going to do is lead with a um, before we get to Angel Season 4 video that dips into all of that. So that's my mentality with the channel. Um, speaking just personally, now that I'm 40, which I keep coming back to, yes, it's a big deal for me. It may not be a big deal, but it is a big deal for me. Um, I've officially been around long enough to develop a rich history in which some creators of things I love turn out to be questionable or have questionable acts revealed. The Lethal Weapon series may be the first romantic comedies I ever enjoyed. Yes, they were romantic comedies. Yeah, I, I feel you in there, man. Like, uh... Mel Gibson has been quite a controversial figure for for a while now, um, but Braveheart is one of my f favorite films of all time. Um, as a as a historical piece, it's complete nonsense, but that's a rant for for another day. Right. <laughs> um, but as a film and a story and you know a narrative, I I really like it, and it's made by someone who's very 
con- controversial. So yeah. But yeah. Um, Parks and Recreation is one of my favorite comfy, blanky television shows. But now Tom's approach to dating feels less amusing. Yeah. Um, as as I said earlier, I'm I'm up to the last season and. From the very beginning, Tom's whole shtick has been ir- irritating. Um, um, for 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 the, the reasons you you just mentioned, um, he's probably my least favorite character, and I think that that trope, the archetype of the the horny womanizing play playboy, is just tiresome and old. And if you're gonna do that, do something different with it. And with the exception of of a couple of in- endearing mo- moments, I haven't really done a lot with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, the, there's a long list. The first pop album I ever fell in love with was Michael Jackson's Thriller. I thought Louis C.K.'s openness about male sexuality and his routines was sometimes thoughtful and refreshing. Some of the first movies I enjoyed that didn't feature explosions or animated characters were made by Woody Allen. And I first learned to tell a joke as well as understand the music of a good story by memorizing routines of Bill Cosby's album himself. And I still have them memorized. I'm never going to recite them again in public, but I still have them memorized. Now, here's the thing. Within that group, there's probably a spectrum for measuring these men that ranges from made a mistake to turdish human bummer to actual living monster. Where they fall into that spectrum and why is not the fodder for this podcast. What to do with the things they've made is... But because of the fact that this sort of thing happens all the time, I think I personally started to unconsciously build that muscle of celebrating the art and not the artist. You cannot, if you're doing an examination or having a conversation of the work itself, I don't really believe in death of the author. I don't think that you can, can, can have that conversation without an examination of intent and philosophy and so forth. I think it's an inevitable part of it, even though I think ultimately we get to decide, we say as um, the people consuming the art, uh, what it all means. But for what I do in the examination, that is a part of it. Um, Lindsay Ellis put out a great video on another creator in the news right now, JK Rowling. I'll link to it in the show notes. But she talked about how when a problematic creator like Rowling is doing damage, further consumption of her work empowers her even more. Um, I'm not doing her argument justice, uh, so which is why I'll link to it down below, but I'm also not sure I agree with that completely. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading this past week and read some great articles I'll link to in the show notes, including one in the New York Times in which culture critic Josephine Livingston said, I consider Woody Allen and Roman Polanski's movies gifts to me and to the culture, even when they're bad, and I'm not giving them back, she said. I don't want Allen and Polanski to have control over their own legacies or even their own works. If they don't get to dictate how I interpret their films, then they don't get to control anything about the film industry. We, the viewers, do. I love that. Yeah, and I mean, that is... I mean, Roman Polanski, I forgot to include... I'm just not a big consumer of his work. He's one of the most Mm. notorious um, of these kinds of things. And again, I acknowledge that there is a spectrum to these to either making a mistake in public all the way on up and i'm not placing anyone in that spectrum we're just talking about how we as consumers of media 
react when a creator uh, of something we treasure experiences that in the public eye. Um, and um, listening to Lindsay talk about J.K. Rowling, the, the difference between J.K. and Woody Allen or Polanski is that J.K. is um, very active on social media. She's very public. She still has a lot of uh, power and control over her um, uh, IP. You know, but Rowling is already rich. She's all. Uh, she's already powerful, and if we boycott her work, it strikes me that a lot of people in the trans community or allies of who grew up with Harry Potter and probably gained strength from it now don't have that uh, uh, connection to their, that piece of art or media. And I realize that it's it's something that everyone in that position of being inspired by Harry and Hermione and everyone. Um, who feels let down by JK's philosophy needs to work out for themselves. But the idea of throwing the art away um, to me feels like a mistake. And again, I apologize if I'm misrepresenting uh, Lindsay's idea. Uh, but boycotting counters a negative with a negative by removing that further possibility of re emotional resonance and connection to, I mean, Personally, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, but I wouldn't I, I I wouldn't call it great art. And yet, it has connected with so many people, has informed mm -hmm. uh, the childhood childhoods of so many people. So my opinion looks irrelevant in the face of that. Um, and wherever Joss falls on that spectrum I mentioned earlier, which is not for me to debate or talk about. Willow and Tara were the first time that many people felt seen in media. I've received dozens of letters from people telling me the show saved their lives. The comments on uh, my video for Untouched and the one I did for The Body are vulnerable and heartbreaking about, uh, from people sharing about the way these episodes touched their lives. Those people deserve Buffy. Um, and that, to me is the importance and significance of art versus the artist, which I accept I maybe screwed up this entire time. Um, so are there other approaches besides, is it a binary thing? Do we empower JK or do we um, lose Harry Potter? And I, I just think maybe there, that is not the case. Maybe we're not stuck between that, that, binary uh, thing. For instance, and I'm just throwing this out, I'm, I, again, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there as an idea. For every dollar you spend on Harry Potter, you donate to the Trevor Project or the Nat National Center for Transgender Equality. Do we as a com community endorse pirating uh, those movies, which again, thousands of other people worked on? I don't know. I'm just saying I think this is something we're sorting out as a culture at the moment. And in case I didn't mention this, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> making this up as I go along. So you should not listen to me, but figure well it out said, for yourself. Man. Well said, well said. Um, going back to what you said about uh, the comments that people have, the touching co comments on you know, the video from the body and stuff, you said those people deserve Buffy. And I, I totally agree. And going, going back to that quote, quote you, you shared 
Buffy is also a gift for me that I'm not willing to give back. I mean, it's it's changed my life like quite li- literally, like on a on on a personal level. But it also like you and I wouldn't be friends if 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 it weren't for yeah, we uh, Buffy. Met. We 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 would never have met. And I've got a lot of friends that I know simply because of Buffy. And like you and I have had some incredible experiences to, together because of Buffy. And that's a wonderful thing, I think. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Now that I'm coming out of it, I realized that was all a little ranty. <laughs> that wasn't intended to be ranty, um, and I apologize if it came out that way. You, I, I, it's very hard for me to explain how much this stresses me out. <laughs> um, uh, whenever a news story about Joss hits the media, and again, nothing I said it was intended to be a discussion of those things or any of that stuff um you know if we're uh, wherever that spectrum uh is for anyone wherever someone puts joss in that spectrum then you have those decisions that you have to make uh as an individual and i'm not saying where he belongs in that yeah. spectrum i i yeah, don't want to have not that discussion a stance here either yeah. way i um, but i did think it was important to talk about my philosophy for the things i choose to to, to bring into episode guides and sort of individually where I stand, which is like, I just do not deify creators or artists, mm. you know, um, celebrate the work. Um, and yeah. I say that, uh, I say that probably being guilty of some weed and wank um, oh, me too. Me early too. on in the, ser- in the episode guide or recently, I don't, I don't know. I've uh, got an autograph collection full of um, autographs from uh, cast members at the show and uh, other actors and whatnot. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I can't talk. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, Um, and holy cow, am I biased? hmm. If someone's got a bias, you know, it's this guy. My livelihood. And I think most people who claim to be unbiased are full of shit. We've all got, got a bias somewhere. It fills me with stress and anxiety, but I think um, the past week was important for me to spend time clarifying and thinking about my my approach when it comes to the channel and my personal approach. Uh, I think it's helped you very much on a personal level as much as you have struggled with it. It's helped you to sort of reaffirm some things and maybe figure some other things out and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but again, tons of bias. My mm. livelihood depends uh, currently is yeah. it depends on the man's work. Yeah. Um, uh, there are, I've met many of the cast members. Um, uh, some people from that group support me, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which means it's on to me. But again, you know, it's uh, it took a village, you know, mm. and uh, exactly. to, to say nothing of the news stories themselves, which I did not want to talk about. Yeah, and um, a lot of people wanted you, a lot of people from the audience wanted you to com- comment on it. So that's why we decided to do this. And yeah. I decidedly took a bit of a step back and just let you uh, talk because I, I don't have much uh, to say beyond what you've said. You and I agree for the most part. And I've really got nothing else to say on it that you haven't already said. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And, and I mean, no, you know, good. there's just certain things that I consider fodder for the channel or not 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, and I, I thought that I should let you guys know w- yeah. in my mind where that was. Um, and this would be a bit of a waste go, going up on the main uh, channel as a rant. It, it, it just it wouldn't. It's just not. It's not the kind of stuff I want to put out into the world. But this, exactly. uh, the podcast has is filled with me questioning mm. myself and my own feelings about things and my ethics and my you know whatever. So yeah. um, again, um, hopefully there was some clarity in that and i'm trying to de-stress because i got i i yeah <laughs> you already look look a lot lighter and a lot more relaxed <laughs> um all right so yeah, uh, well so as we finish out the show what are you up to this week sir this week i am uh finishing the script for fool for love and hopefully recording but we know how my ambitions go when it comes to stuff like that also, you and I are watching Le Samurai. Yes. Which I know nothing about, but uh, is in the IMDb. That was either an Ebert film or the IMDb. I think we've watched one Ebert film, and it was the most hated movie of any we oh, ha- we'd watched. That was The Pledge, yeah. That was The Pledge. Oh, um, yeah, okay. So hopefully, if this is an Ebert film, we have um, yeah. uh, better luck with this. I don't like like I know that guy is a bit of a legend in your neck of the woods, but I I don't trust yeah, him. Yeah, he's that. an <laughs> he's an idol in slash inspiration of mine for sure. Um, yeah. But I too hated the pledge. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably be talking about that that next week. Jack, what are you up mm-hmm. to this week? Uh, well, I'm still puttering away on the Patreon bonus videos. Um, a few of them have been uploaded. Then they're not live yet. We still got to make some thumbnails and put some finishing touches on those. Um, but ho- hopefully, we will have a portion of that done before or as this goes uh, live. This podcast. Um, and on a personal note, I've got some health-related appointments coming up. Those are always a lot of fun. In the same way that being pecked to death by a group of angry roosters is a lot of fun. So not at all, but uh, well, so, such is life. I have to do it. And other other than that, um, whenever I get some free time, I'm going to get more acquainted with my new Nintendo Switch, which I'm very much looking 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 forward to getting stuck into this afternoon. At least you have the Switch to play f- for the pecking. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, before we get into the fanfic reading, um, I just wanted to let you know that I am at Ian Nitram on Twitter and YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd. And you can follow me on Twitter at Lack of Surprise One. That's all one word with a number one at the end. Or you can find me on the Discord server. I'm Jack Spraddington o- over there. And of course, you can join our Passionate Nerds Facebook group. If you'd like to support the channel and keep us flush with uncomfortable sex scenes and digital costumes, uh, it's patreon.com slash passion of the nerd. With a $5 and up club there, you can join us in the hangout. Oh, that's the other thing we're doing is this Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, we're doing the Patreon hangout discussion for Blind Date, Mm -hmm. uh, the Angel episode, and Restless is coming. But uh, after that, we've got to Shanshu and then uh, um, Restless. For... I'm excited for that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, or you can also su- support us by grabbing yourself something from www.passionofthenerd.com forward slash store, 
We have a bunch of swagger over there for you to indulge in if that's your thing. We got shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and we've also got a couple of uh, commentary tracks that you can grab for a dollar ninety nine US. Uh, we don't have too many so far. We've got uh, one we for the Buffy movie and when Harry met Matt Sally. Um, Ian and I have been talking for a very long time about doing one for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, we'll hopefully get get to that at some point. That that would be really, really fun, I think. If you have any commentary requests, you can leave them as a comment in the yeah, yeah, uh, let, let comments down below. Sure. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you may not realize it, but you can support me for free by using your monthly Amazon Prime Twitch subscription at twitch.tv slash the passion of the nerd if you use twitch though please use your subscription on someone you follow who actually streams because they are the ones that deserve it um so we're gonna go over to the fanfic reading now here is gone by terry boda chapter 24 the um, previous chapters are in the show notes Spike considered Buffy's birthday present to be a significant improvement over the battered box of chocolates he'd thought to give her the last time. No, this time he was going for something more... appropriate. This time, he was giving her a genuine Grutlach battle axe, newly cleaned and sharpened and successfully selected from his own personal arsenal. Considering that he had lopped off the head of the Grutlach himself with the axe, he doubted the demon would miss it. He hefted the axe and gave it an appraising once-over, smiling and hoping it would be well-received. Nothing says I love you to a slayer more than a well-made and razor-sharp weapon he amused himself with. He only hoped the red bow he'd tied around the handle wasn't too chintzy. He stopped outside the Summers house, hearing the party merriment from inside and smiling when he heard Buffy laugh. He wasn't going in right away, however. He had a wayward little sister to herd back into the house before she scampered off to the magic box. And there's my little escapee as we speak, he thought, as Dawn's figure appeared. Suppressing a chuckle, he placed himself in her path so that she'd bump right into him. Boo! She yiped and whirled around. Oi, niblet, he said with a smirk. Jeez, lurk much? she demanded, trying to salvage her wounded pride. He lit a cigarette to keep from laughing. wasn't lurking. I was standing around. It's a whole different vibe. Dawn spotted the axe and gave him an, incre an incredulous look. What is... Are you giving Buffy a birthday present? Oh my god, weird. Plus an axe with a bow? Lame. And you know she'd never touch anything from you anyway. Spike snorted, amused by her crossed arms and haughty teenage snarkiness. But he played along, pretending to be irritated. Shouldn't you be tucked away in your Betty by all warm and safe where nothing can eat you? He growled, looming close and spinning the axe. She scoffed at him. Is that supposed to scare me? He sniffed and shrugged. A little tremble wouldn't hurt. Sorry, it, it's just... Come in, I'm... Badder than you, she replied. He stepped back and scowled. Are not! Am too. You're standing in the bushes holding an axe with a bow on it. I'm... She announced. What? Sneaking off to braid hair and watch the Teletubbies with your mates, he retorted. No. I'm breaking in the, into the magic shop to steal things, she replied, a serious look on her face. Magic shop, eh? All number of beasties between here and there, but they'd really go for a little red riding hood like you. 
He looked out at the night, then back at the house. I bet that wouldn't sit too well with Big Sister. She gave him a, a look of false bravado. I can take care of myself. He pursed his lips and shook his head. I don't think so, sweet bit. I let you go, you get hurt, and Big Sis hands me my dust in my own personalized urn. Dawn crossed her arms and set her jaw stubbornly. You can't stop me. You've got a chip. He shook his head and tutted. Ah, bit. If I don't intend to hurt you, I can't stop you. What are you going to do? Drag me back my hair? She snarked. Nah. I saved the hair dragon for special occasions. I'll just sling you over one shoulder and carry you back in like a sack of potatoes. He responded with a smirk. Oh, I don't think so, she said. Besides, you'd have to catch me first. Dawn dashed off, running down the street. Spike took a moment to count to ten and ask for forbearance, then took off after her, leaving the axe behind. She'd barely made it to the end of the neighbor's yard before he overtook her. She slammed right into him as he grabbed her up and grabbed her and picked her up. Vampire speed, bit. She struggled and kicked out with her feet, trying to twist out of his grasp. Put me down. Not until you're back in your living room, bit, he said, walking back to the house. Ow, you're hurting me. Not sure if she was telling the truth, he set her down. Since he wasn't intending to hurt her, the chip wasn't going off, but sometimes he didn't know his own strength and he could be holding her too hard. Spinning her around, he kept a grip on her upper arms and made her look at him. She was sullen and angry, refusing to meet his gaze. Let go of me, she demanded, trying to shrug off his hold. Not until you're safe in the house. I'm, I'm not safe in there, she yelled, tears brimming in her eyes. They talk about me in whispers and get quiet when they think I can hear. Everyone's acting all weird around me. She gave him a furious glare. Even you, you know, don't you? You know what's going on. Caught, he squirmed uncomfortably, now bit. I know for a fact that they're only trying to protect you. How was he to know that it was the worst thing he could say? Dawn flew into a rage, her anger giving her strength. I'm not a baby. I can take care of myself. She ducked and he twisted. Then she brought up her foot and kicked him in the groin. He gasped and doubled over, then fell to the ground as something smashed into the back of his head with brutal force. He had enough time to realize that she'd hit him with Buffy's birthday present before he blacked out. Spike. A voice came, slightly irritated and followed by a jostling of his prone body. He groaned. Spike, the voice said again, this time punctuated by a light kick. He groaned again and opened his eyes to see Buffy and Willow looking down at him. Hi, nice to see you could join us now. Tell me what you're doing past out outside my back door, Buffy asked. Memory came flooding back to him, along with a splitting headache, and he sat up too quickly. Dawn, he managed to get out before the wave of dizziness hit him. What about her? She was sneaking off. I tried to stop her, he said, feeling the lump on the back of his head. Bloody hell, that hurts. Buffy gave Willow a look, and the witch hurried into the house. You're telling me my little sister knocked you out? Well, it's not like I can do anything to her. Still have the chip, you know. Bloody bent kicked me in the balls. Buffy laughed until Willow came running back. Buffy, she's gone. The others joined them. Buffy, what's wrong? Joyce asked, worried. Don's gone. Gone? Where? Giles remarked. Magic box, Spike replied, rising slowly to his feet. Magic box? Why on earth would she go there? Spike cracked his neck and worked his jaw. Said she was going to steal things. Steal things? Anya cried. The money! She's after the money! We have to stop her! Xander, quick, get the car! Spike put up a hand. Don't think she's after the money, mates. She said something about 
you lot talking about her. I think she's going there to see if she can figure out what's going on. Buffy turned to Giles. What if she finds out she's the key? Wait a minute. Dawn is Glory's key? He blurted, using the opportunity to find out about the key. Buffy gave him a frightened look. How did you know about the key? Dawn told me that Glory Bint was looking for her key. Are you telling me that Dawn is what she's looking for? He locked eyes with Giles, looking for backup. The Watcher looked away and cleaned his glasses. I'm afraid that's the case, Giles confirmed, Spike, giving Spike a knowing, glass, knowing glance. Bloody hell. We have to find her. Mom, you stay here. I'm going to the magic box. Ho hopefully she'll still be there, Buffy ordered. We'll go with you. We have to check on the money, Anya said. It was tacitly agreed that Willow and Tara would stay with Joyce and Xander. It was tacitly agreed that Willow and Tara would stay with Joyce while Xander and Anya and Buffy went to the magic box in Xander's car. Spike bullied his way into going along with Giles, and the older man agreed without too much protest. He was grateful for the Watcher's show of confidence. He hadn't seen Giles since the incident at the Bronze, and was glad the man appeared to have decided to keep his secrets and help him. Getting into Xander's car, they arrived at the magic box to find the door smashed open. The axe that had severed it was still stuck in the door, a crumpled red bow hanging forlornly from the handle. What is this? Where did this come from? Buffy demanded, yanking the axe from the door and looking at it. Um, she took it from me, Spike admitted. She gave him an incredulous look. You were bringing an axe to my house? He looked guilty. Actually, I... I Buffy looked at the bow, the axe, then at Spike, putting two and two together. You were giving me an axe for my birthday? He looked offended. What? You don't like it? Buffy gave the axe a look. It's... it's... it's a Grootluck axe, Giles said, coming forward to examine the weapon. Spike, where did you get this? He smirked and puffed up with pride. From the Grootluck. Where else? You killed a Grootluck demon. His smile widened. With his own axe, he shrugged. Blighter was butterfingers and dropped it. Suppose he could have had something to do with him with my cutting off his hand, but, uh... Guys, enough of the weapons 101. Dawn, remember? Xander interrupted. And the money! Anya added, lest they forget. Birthday present forgotten, they headed into the store to find that Dawn was not there. Spreading out, they searched to find any clues to her whereabouts. Spike made a circuitous route around the sales floor until he came to the place where he and Dawn had read the Watcher's Diary before. Oi, over here, he said calling them over to the place where Dawn had lit candles in order to allow her to read Giles's writing. Giles swore softly upon seeing the diary. Damn, she knows. Buffy looked stricken. Giles? Okay, where would Dawn go if she was upset? Xander asked. Buffy shook her head. I don't know. We should organize a, a search, Giles said. The phone rang and Buffy leaped to get it. Hello? She said into the, re the receiver. Hi, Wills? Dawn? She's there. They gave a collective sigh of relief. Oh, thank God. She... What? How is she? Okay, we'll be there soon. Yeah, the magic box is okay, except for the one door. She smashed it in with an axe she took from Spike. Don't ask. Okay, keep her there. Bye. She returned to face the rest of the group, her eyes concerned and relieved. That was Willow. Dawn came home. She's safe, but she cut herself with a kitchen knife. She's okay. Willow, Tara, and Mom are with her. Oh dear, is she okay? Anya asked. She's fine. Willow says it wasn't that bad, but Dawn's pretty traumatized. 
I need to get back there as soon as I can. Xander, can you give me a ride? Sure, buff. Let's go. Xander agreed, fish, fishing his car keys out of his pocket. I'll stay here and shore up the door she smashed with the axe, Giles said. They all looked at the axe, lying forgotten on the reading table. The bow was still clinging valiantly to the handle, although squashed and unraveling. Spike gave it a dejected glance and pursed his lips, but said nothing. Buffy looked from the weapon to the vampire, back to the weapon, and then to Giles. The Watcher cleared his throat and gave Buffy a small nod. It is a fine weapon, and you're not likely to find one like it very soon. Grudlock demons are excellent metalsmiths, and they prize their weapons. This battle axe appears very well made, and it is given in good faith, Giles told her haltingly, casting spiked nervous glances. Buffy pursed her lips and reached for the axe. She picked it up, feeling its weight and examining the blade. She even made an attempt to fix the poor battered door. Spike watched her do this with an expression of mild surprise and pleasure. Giving the axe a test swing, she twirled it in her fingers and turned to him. Thanks, Spike. You're welcome, Slayer, he answered with a nod. Happy birthday. She gave him a small smile. Xander and Anya gave him confused and wary looks, but neither said anything as Buffy hurried out the door. Xander and Anya followed her out, leaving Spike alone with Giles. The two eyed each other with grudging respect. Thanks for backing me up, Watcher. Yes, well, I have done a lot of thinking the past few days since our encounter at the bar, and I've come to the conclusion that I must trust in faith, fate and put my faith in believing that there is a higher purpose to all this and that everything will turn out for the best, Giles responded nervously. Spike snorted. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to... You'll have enough faith for the both of us then, Watcher, because I still think this is a bloody joke, and the sudden powers that be have a rotten, twisted sense of humor. Turning away, he moved to the broken door. Giles followed, and they secured the battered door as best they could in silence. All right. That's it for this week. Jack, I love yes. you. I love you too, brother. I love you very, very much. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks for inviting me to be a, be a part of this. It's, yeah, it's, man. Uh, I'm, I hope I'm having you're, a lot of fun. I hope you're having fun. Um, yeah. And we both appreciate you all for listening to us. Have a great week. And please, 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 and as always, be kind to yourself. Yes. Uh, be kind. Be gentle and please take care of yourselves and take care of those around you. And we'll see you in a week. Take take care, friends. <laughs>